In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, from whom all good proceeds, grant that by your inspiration we may think those things that are right, and by your merciful guiding may do them. At first hearing, the words from this morning's colic seem to pretty much sum up our Christian life, don't they? God, please just tell me what you want me to do and help me do it. That's simple enough, right? So why then have we been praying this exact same prayer in our church every year since Thomas Cranmer's first Book of Common Prayer in 1549? By now, haven't we figured out what it is that God might want us to do? Have we as humans not evolved somehow so that we know what is right and what is wrong simply by instinct? Unfortunately, looking around our world today, I think that answer is pretty clear. Too often do we see and hear stories of people who acted with their own interests at stake, frequently to the disadvantage of another human being. Why do we not automatically default to doing good, even when it means that we might be inconvenienced or put out somehow? Just as professional athletes practice the same move over and over again until they build their muscle memory, perhaps we are actually called to do the same thing, but only on a spiritual and ethical level. As you all know, before I entered seminary, I was in the Navy, and even though the Naval Academy provided the foundation for that military career, there was no amount of theoretical exercise or study of regulations that could have prepared me for my first experience with the real Navy, the fleet. I had just completed my second year and was halfway through my training at the academy. The drudgeries of that first plebe year were far behind me and I was looking forward to my junior year and enjoying the greatest privilege of all, having a car. So needless to say, I was feeling pretty good with myself and was very excited about my first summer training aboard a real-life Navy ship. Now, in my mind's eye, I had visions of sailing the South Pacific to exotic ports of call or slicing through the open ocean on a sleek, massive battleship. Never mind that we haven't had battleships for a while. But my slightly romanticized and delusional summer plans were made up. Russell Crowe and I would be on that sailing ship together, <laughs> both in our three-corner hats, just like in Master and Commander. I was pumped. And then my orders came in. Did we even have a base in New Jersey? <laughs> the mighty oiler. USS Detroit was stationed in Earl, New Jersey. It was at the end of a three-mile-long pier, presumably so that if this ship filled with ammunition and fuel were to, say, explode, 
that it wouldn't destroy the city as well. As our white 15-passenger government van approached the ship, my classmates and I looked in shock and horror as we saw that our, next, our home for the next six weeks was in a state of utter disrepair. It turned out that the mighty Detroit was having a mighty overhaul and was not going to leave the pier for our entire cruise period. So after settling into our berthing, I went to find the division officer that I was supposed to be shadowing for the summer. Looked for him all afternoon, couldn't find him. It wasn't until about midnight when I saw him trudge up the gangplank, followed at some distance by this young forlorn sailor. And as the sailor sulked by us and went inside, I introduced myself to the officer who wasn't much older than I was. And it turns out that he had just come back from the local jail. The young sailor was in his division and had been arrested earlier for disorderly conduct because apparently the state of New Jersey frowns upon those who run around their malls in a gorilla costume. <laughs> what, what had I gotten myself into? Spending a day at the jail bailing out your sailor who was arrested in a gorilla outfit was not in the emission brochures of the Naval Academy. There were no classes that covered this scenario. But somehow the qualities of leadership and putting someone else's well-being before your own actually were deeply ingrained throughout that entire formation process. So whether or not that young officer knew exactly how to get his sailor out of jail was actually inconsequential. He simply knew it was the right thing to do. And he would figure it out along the way. The transition from military into seminary was actually pretty fascinating because of the similarities between how each one treats the training and the formation of their career professionals. In a residential seminary, there was little separation between school, church, and family time. One became immersed in the routine of morning prayer, evening prayer, and daily Eucharist. Classes were built around this schedule, and even the wider community of spouses and children became involved in these activities. We were effectively learning, sleeping, and eating church from the moment that we left the house in the morning until we returned in the evening. We learned from our professors, most of whom were ordained priests, but most importantly, we learned from each other. Now, there were 24 people in my class at Swanee, and when you bring that many people together and put them on the top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere, there's little choice but to learn everything about everyone. <laughs> Questions of faith, doctrine, and even one's calling to the priesthood were common discussions. And it was that common struggle that really can't be replicated anywhere else. And then finally, after those three years, when we graduated with our Masters of Divinity, we were all placed in a church, the real church. And I'll be the first to tell you, hasn't been a parishioner in a gorilla costume yet, <laughs> but there have been many, many times when all of the seminary classes and training I received has had no bearing whatsoever 
on a situation that I was presented with. But those are the times that that spiritual and mental formation has really paid off. Information really is not limited to the ordained or even to massive bureaucratic institutions like the military or even the Episcopal Church. We're all being formed every day by everything around us, both good and bad. We prayed for God to inspire us that we may think those things that are right. But how do we expect God to be able to get a word in if we're constantly surrounded by the unceasing noise and distraction of society today? Without some sort of foundation for God to build upon, how is God supposed to form us and ultimately use us to change the world? I believe the first step in building this foundation can actually be the hardest. And that's for us to simply let go of that control and allow some room for God to enter into our lives. Now, I'm not talking about doing something drastic like going to live in a cave in a desert somewhere. There are actually two pretty simple things that I picked up along the way that have really changed the way I perceive God in my life, and I invite you to try one or both for yourself. First, read the Bible just a little each day. You can use the daily office readings, and there are plenty of websites that do all that hard work for you. Learning the context of the passages we hear each Sunday really puts things into perspective. Secondly, pray. Try to carve out a little time each day that's reserved for prayer. Pray with your family. Pray with your children or your grandchildren before they go to bed. Let them know it's okay to talk about God and Jesus. It won't only impact your own spiritual life, but begin to form theirs as well. What a gift. Through our baptisms, we are called by Christ to all be ministers. In fact, all of you, the laity, are the royal priesthood. Few are called to the ordained ministry. The majority of us are not. If we, as the Episcopal Church, left it solely up to clergy to spread the life-giving message of the gospel, we would reach a whopping 0.9% of all Americans. We'd be preaching to only those who had already decided to come to church on a Sunday morning and who, like you, presumably already have some desire to form a relationship with God. But what about that other 99.1%? That's where you, as the church, comes in. Imagine the impact you can have in the community when they see you making choices and decisions that don't always benefit you personally. Imagine the impact you can have if someone who is struggling with her faith sees you asking a blessing before you eat dinner at some nice restaurant. 
just with any type of formation, as uncomfortable as these actions might be at first, they will continue to form your spiritual lives and will ultimately make room for God to work through you. Jesus says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. I invite you this morning to open yourself to be changed. Give God that opportunity to speak to you. Listen to what God might actually be saying to you. And then allow yourself to follow that voice. Children of God, sisters and brothers in Christ, be who you are.